<clears throat> Hi everybody and welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study where we will study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Maria F and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm from County Dublin in Ireland and I'll be your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Audrey N and Sue L. If you have any questions or if you have any concerns during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts and you can do this by private message in the chat function. Please note that our speaker, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of today's study. However, the Q&A session which follows, that will not be recorded. And we put a link to the previous week's recordings in the chat function. This is week number 113. We ask that if you could please keep your microphones on mute at all times during today's study. And please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, driving, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason, please disconnect your camera. We also ask if you are asking Harlan a question today, can you please just leave your camera on so that we can see you if possible. If you're not on the phone, please leave your camera on. We also ask that you refrain from making use of the chat function to message other attendees privately, just so we can all be present with each other here at today's workshop. So we will now turn over the meeting to Harlan G. Good morning, Harlan, in Scottsdale. Good morning, Maria, in Ireland. I'm so happy to be here. And as you hear me say all the time, I hope it is as astoundingly gorgeous wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, as it is in Scottsdale this morning. It's starting to cool down. It is only 82 degrees, which is would be unheard of over the last few months but we're getting close to that September uh, uh, fall equinox in, on the 21st. And it's just astoundingly gorgeous here this morning. I hope it is where you are too. A couple of brief announcements that are important. Um, the first one being in December on the 9th, 10th and 11th of December, I am going to be taking this out on the road and we're going to do an in-person workshop, in-person big book workshop in White Plains, New York. And we're going to have posted in the chat a little later on registration information. If you can make it to White Plains, it would be wonderful to see you. Uh, also, very big Overeaters Anonymous will celebrate its own 63rd birthday in Los Angeles at the LAX Hilton. Now, if you're registering for your hotel, please make sure that if you're not, you because the registration hasn't begun until October, won't begin till October 15th. But if you're using your own way of registering for the hotel, we have a special rate. Make sure you're getting the rate and also make sure it's the LAX Hilton because there's lots of Hiltons in the Los Angeles area. You don't want to be registered at the wrong one. You want to be registered at the LAX Hilton. If it's not on Century Boulevard and it's not the LAX Hilton, it is the wrong venue. So please make sure that'll be the 13th, 14th and 15th of January. And a couple of us are getting in a few days early so we can we can have some fun, we can socialize, we can do whatever it is that we do. So I hope to see you there. Uh, let's get 2000 of us there at least this year um, and, and it'll be a, a really good time. Okay, we have been in the chapter, we agnostics. And an agnostic is someone who lacks knowledge. Ag means without. Gnostic means knowledge. A believer in God believes that there is a God. A, an atheist believes that there is no religious deity up in the sky with a long beard and a cane, a staff, uh, and, and, you know, up there like that. So an agnostic is not an atheist. An agnostic is not a believer. They may fall into those categories, but agnostic means without knowledge. So ag means without and gnostic means knowledge. Now we're going to start on page 48, this, this session on page 48. And we're going to be at the point in the middle of the page. The reader may still ask why. 
the reader may still ask why on page 48. But before we start on page 48, I just want to sort of take us through some things that are very, very important for us to remember. The first thing I need to remember is I am a work in progress. And so my God is also a work in progress also. And by a work in progress, I mean that nothing is really solid. It's liquid. What does that mean? It's a, it's a liquid rather than a solid. It means at different points in my life, I need different things from God. At different points in my life, God represents different things to me than he did or it did or she did or whatever pronoun you want to use or whatever adjective you want to use is fine. I call God, God. I also call God Israel because Israel is not just a country. Israel is a name for the God of my understanding. So when I say Israel, if I say Israel, and I'll try not to, I am not referring to the country of Israel. I am referring to the idea of the religious deity that is instilled in me. So I'll try to make those distinctions so that I don't step on anyone's toes. But whatever that idea of a higher power is for you, let's just review this because it's worth reviewing. On page 45 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is the thesis line of the big book. And the thesis line of the big book is in the middle of the page. And it says, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Here's the thesis line. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Now, if you notice, there, it doesn't say in this book, which is the title of the book is Alcoholics Anonymous. We refer to it so often as the big book that sometimes we think that that's the title of the book. It's not. The title of the book is Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, why is that weird that they didn't say the main object of this book is to help you get sober? Or the main object of this book is to help you get abstinent. Or the main object of this book is to help you be a better golfer or a better bowler or a better whatever it is you want to be. The main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Notice also it doesn't say problems plural, because as a human being, you and I are going to have challenges, not just all the time, but every single day, we are going to be challenged by people and places and things and institutions that come into our life. And they challenge our serenity because they rattle our, our selfishness. They're not sticking to our script. They rattle our fears. They are attacking or they are perceived to attack our basic instincts of life. The basic instincts of life are the social instinct, the security instinct, and the sex instinct. And any threat to these instincts, either in what I have now or my ambitions for the future in these areas, this is where fear comes from. This is where anger comes from, is that attack or perceived attack to what I have in these areas or my ambitions for the future. So this is the emanation point. So when it says the main, it, its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem, what we're talking about here is that better be the main object of my life. So don't get all upset, don't get all emotional that I'm not saying the same thing you hear in just about every OA meeting you've ever attended or every AA meeting that you've ever attended when they say sobriety is the most important thing in my life without exception or abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. Now, did Harlan say, oh, you don't have to be abstinent or you don't have to be sober? I never said that. I never said that. But if abstinence, if sobriety is the main object of my life, then I'm essentially dieting with group support. And the reason that it's very important to make this distinction 
is because what we're really dealing with is the totality of us as human beings and what we're doing in the seeking of this higher power, whether you call it she, he, it, black, white, green, yellow, Jewish, Protestant, Catholic, Muslim, whatever it is you believe in, Buddhist, Native American, whatever it is you believe in is fine. Whatever it is you don't believe in is fine too. Whatever it is that's in your heart, be you atheist, be you whatever, be you a believer, you are welcome here. But number one is the, the, the seeking of this higher power. The main object of this book is to help you find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem and understand that the finding of that higher power is not an event, but a destination. Because just when you think you've arrived at a comfortable destination, life is going to throw you changes. Three years ago, three years ago is not all that long not all that long, most of you were not on the, most of you could not have been here because we didn't have Zoom. If you weren't at the coffee plantation in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Maria's been there. I know Maria's been there for sure because I was there with her, but the bottom, Maria in Dublin. But the bottom line is, is that if you weren't there or you weren't one of those few people that would call in on Saturday mornings, you could not attend this. But now you can attend very easily because the world is a very, very different place. And I would be willing to bet, I I'm not a gambler, but I'd be willing to wager that of the 125 people that are here, not a one of you has an unchanged life from three years ago. In three years, lots and lots of things have changed in your life. And so your pursuit of this higher power, your pursuit of this God, if you want to call it that, great outdoors, group of drunks, whatever, is different because your needs are different, your life is different, your perceptions are different, even if the only thing that is different is you're three years older, and that changes things too. Three years is a long time, but really not. So we have an ever-changing, metamorphosizing journey, and we need that higher power. Why is it so important? Again, we're human beings. And what we're going to do in the pursuit of this God is we're not going to see it as an event. See, so many people, like me, I made the mistake of seeing some of this as a destination. I've worked step two. Now I'm going to work step three. Now I'm going to work step four. Now I'm going to do step five. That is not a correct way of looking at it from my perspective for me. It is an ever-changing journey. There are going to be things that I am going to encounter today, tomorrow, Monday that are going to necessitate me going back to these things and revisiting them. Otherwise, I'm going to eat. And what we're really doing, yes, we're affecting a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. Yes, that is what we're doing. But let me just go a little further than that. What we're doing in the pursuit of this higher power what we're doing in relying on a power greater than ourselves is we are pushing back. We are pushing back on the force, the strength, the Herculean properties of the demonic, destructive ego, the manifestations of our of our defects of character, the fear, the anger, the selfishness, the dishonesty, and the uh, self-seeking. These things are products of this demonic, destructive ego, or what the big book calls self. What is the bondage of self? The bondage of self are my defects of character. What are the origins of that self-ego? 
So the ego is so powerful, so seductive, so resurrective that there's no way for us to permanently defeat it. If every organ in my body were as were as strong and could resurrect itself as readily as the ego, I would live to be 10,000 years old because the ego is virtually indestructible. And so the constancy that is required, the vigilance, the discipline that is required of me to seek this higher power is something that I am called upon to do every single day of my life. And that's why I cringe when people call me and say, I worked the steps about two years ago, and now I'm back in the food. Well, you don't ever worked the steps. Notice I said worked. I didn't say you never work the steps. I said worked in the past tense. Because if working the steps for any of us is a past tense phenomenon, we are now in the throes of the disease because the disease resurrects itself beautifully and it talks to us in the most seductive way. It talks to us in ways where it knows how to sell you on the idea of everything in your life going to hell in a handbasket when you eat Oreo cookies to eat Oreo cookies yet again. So you're disease, your manifestation of self, your defects of character will speak to you in the most seductive way possible. They are as the sirens calling the sailors to dash their ships against the shore, against the rocks in search of these seductive sirens. The sirens are an ancient mariner's tale. They sat on the shore and they were beautiful young girls and they would beckon the sailors to come closer, come closer. And then the sailors would steer their ships to the to the shore and the rocks would would batter their ship and they would sink. And then the sirens would come and they would rob the ship. Well, this was just a ploy. Well, this is the exact same scenario of something that has been going on in my mind, in my in my spirit from the day I was born. My brain would say, eat the Oreo cookies, eat the chips ahoy. And my myself, my my recovered self or my other self would say, no, 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 but my, uh, I couldn't hold on to that. I always gave in to the ego. I gave in to the disease and we will continue to give in to the disease because the reward for eating Oreo cookies is I get about nine seconds of relief from the untenable pain of not eating Oreo cookies. And that nine, 10 second period of time, Dr. Silkworth calls the effect. The effect is that instant sense of ease and comfort that comes at once. How many of us don't like instant gratification, instant results? I know I do. When do I want something? Right now. If I don't get it right now, I want everybody suffering and dead because I want what I want and I want it now or I want you dead. And that's just my brain. That's my what? my ego, my defects of character. I want what I want. I want it now, or I want you dead. And this is how my brain works. Yes, it does. And I wish that it was different, but it's not. That's how my brain works. So the main object of this book, the main object of my life, is to find a power greater than myself that'll solve my problem. Now, Every problem in my life gets better when I am in recovery. My money problems are better. My relationship problems or lack of relationship problems are better. My situation in all areas of my life, I find myself being who I am, being what I am. Just yesterday, just yesterday, I had sort of a long distance 
uh, dialogue with a friend in Chicago who I find most difficult. He's not an easy dog to hunt with. He's just not. And I'm of an age now where I don't want all this BS. I don't want all this blowback. I love him. I don't like his behaviors. And I had the ability to tell him exactly how I was feeling. Now, is it going to change anything? Maybe, maybe not. But I at least expressed myself to the point where he is aware that I am unhappy with some of the idiotic things, or not idiotic, but to me, they're idiotic things that he says on a regular basis that make me upset and make me uncomfortable. I'm very proud of myself. I'm very, very proud of myself for speaking my mind. I didn't let him have it in any sense where I was insulting him. I spoke about me, my reactions, my feelings about some of the charged up things that he says, and I don't want to enter into political discussions with him, and I'm not going to do that. I keep trying to change the subject, but I do, I made it very clear these political part, these political uh, dialogues are just unacceptable to me. And if this is not followed, you know, then I'm going to have to reassess what's going on here. That's just for me, because my job is to do what I need to do for my serenity, my peace of mind. And I don't want to engage in this kind of dialogue anymore. And I was able to speak my mind. I was very, very grateful to my higher power and very, very proud of myself because it's not an easy thing to do sometimes. Okay. So hopefully you will not see step two ever again as a as a destination, but you see it as a journey. And how do you take that journey? What do you do to take that journey? You have to continually work with other people. You have to pray. You have to meditate. You have to do the steps. If you don't do the steps, and I do some things over and above the steps, I pray, I meditate, I do other things that help me to find a God of my understanding, and you will be guided. You will be guided by your God as to how to find this, this journey. Now, I will just give you one universal, one universal that works for me. Here is my universal. When I want to find God, I look for God in the face of one of his children and if I look at the face of one of his children, I will never fail to find him. He is always in the face of one of his precious children. Let's go to page 48. And by that, what I mean by that, so I can circumvent later on, is help somebody get out of yourself call somebody that's struggling. There are newcomers all over this page. There are newcomers every day on a vision for you. There are not so newcomers that are struggling. Give them a call. Let them know you are available for them and be prepared to actually be of service. Be prepared for that. You cannot be all things to all people. You cannot dance at every wedding. And you can't cure alcoholism. And you can't cure compulsive overeating. Your job is to carry the alcoholic, not, not to carry the message, not the alcoholic. So don't look for results. And don't look to see when it's perfect. And one of the things that gets in my, in my way here, and it gets in my way in all areas of life, is the quest that many of us have for perfection. Stop looking for perfection. Try not to be the perfect sponsor. Try not to make the perfect outreach call. Try not to do the perfect fourth step. Try not to do anything perfectly. Do it well. Here's my tip. Shoot for a B minus. Don't shoot for an A plus, shoot for a B, B minus, and you'll be far better off. The only step you have to work perfectly, and I mean 
perfectly is step number one, passo prima. That's Italian. Passo prima is step one. And I've listened to my beautiful friend Barbara say it enough in Italian to know that passo prima is step one. That's the only step that any of us ever have to take perfectly. The rest of the steps, you are an imperfect human work in progress. And things will get better. Things will get different. Things will change as you progress through your life. Let's go to page 48. The reader, I'm at the middle of the page, 48. The reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. We think there are some good reasons. Let's have a look at some of them. Now, before we actually read the text of the next paragraph, which we will, I'm going to give you sort of a bottom line why I need a higher power and you can fit yourself in. I need a power greater than myself. Because my willpower, my brain power, my character, my discipline, and my work ethic are no match for the amazing power of my disease. I'm going to say that again. My intellect, my discipline, my willpower, my character, and my work ethic are no match for the power of this disease. I understand that I have a disease. I get that. But self-knowledge will avail me nothing. Unless I bring a power greater than myself into the equation. How do I do that? I pray. I meditate. I help others. I clean house, trust God, help others. I do the things that I needed to do in these steps to surrender to a power greater than myself. And that power has the ability to push aside the disease. And the disease is a manifestation of my demonic, destructive ego. The ego says, you have the right to feel good right now. And if you're, if you're 600 pounds and you're waddling through the grocery store, now my arms could not come to my side and I, my arms were out to here and it would hurt my shoulders. My shoulders are permanently injured because when you are so heavy, your arms can only come so far. I couldn't put my arms to my side. I could barely get something out of my pocket because I couldn't get my arm, my hand that close to my body because I was encased in so much weight. That's something that a lot of people just don't think about, but it was really hard for me to get something out of my pocket because it was really difficult to get my hand that close to me because of the weight. Now, where was I going with this? While I'm at that weight and I could barely get out of a car, I could barely get in a car. By the time I got in the store, I had peed in my pants, which were already wet. By the time I got in that store, I was farting up a storm because I had eaten such crap food, not only the day before, but so far today. <clears throat> The farting was unbelievable. The crapping in my pants was unbelievable. Gosh, I hope you can't relate to this. I hope you can't relate to any of it. But for those of us that have been at weights way beyond a certain point, you will relate to it right down the line. And there I am, there I am in the grocery store buying Oreo cookies, buying Chips Ahoy, buying Doritos, buying fried chicken, whatever it is I was buying, I don't know, whatever candy, whatever it was at that point, it doesn't matter. I'm buying things that I did not want to be buying. Why do they call it a compulsive overeater? What do we mean by compulsive? It means that I am compulsed. 
I am gravitationally pulled. I am acting in a way that is against my will. And when I say that to my normal friends, when I tell them how, how much I ate against my will, they don't understand that because they've never done it. You do. I was eating food, buying food, doing things, going places like drive through windows that I did not want to be going in. I didn't want anybody to see me. I didn't want to be there. If there was a power that I could have called upon, it would have been the power of invisibility. I wouldn't have wanted to leap buildings in a single bound. I wouldn't have wanted to fly. I wouldn't have wanted to have the strength where bullets were bouncing off of me like Superman or whatever. The power that I wanted more than anything was I wanted to be invisible because I was tired of being abused by people. I was tired of being denigrated by people. And I didn't want anybody to see me eating 14 corn dogs the day after the doctor told me I'm going to die. I'm just weird that way. I didn't want to be seen doing these things. I knew that there was something wrong. I just couldn't help it. And there I was doing it again and again and again and again and again. You get the picture. So here I am acting in a way that is against my will. And the word compulsive overeater, compulsive means I am compulsed to do it against my will. That's why that description of compulsive overeater is so accurate a description. You get people on there and I'm not making fun of anybody or whatever. I'm not passing editorial judgment on anybody. I'm an, I'm a sugar addict. I'm a emotional eater. I'm this, I'm that. If you say, hi, I'm Harlan. I'm a compulsive overeater. You've said it all. You've said it all. That means you have an allergy of the body and a twist of the mind with its inherent sidekick, the mental blank spot. If you say I'm a compulsive overeater, You've said it all, you really have. But I'm not commenting on you know how anybody introduces themselves. I'm just saying, but that word compulsive is very, very important because it means that I'm acting in a way that is absolutely against my will. Dr. Silkworth says in the doctor's opinion, we admit it's injurious. We admit it's injurious. We know we're killing ourselves. You knew you were killing yourself. When you were vomiting and you were praying to that porcelain God, or you were over-exercising or abusing laxatives, if you're on the other side of the coin, you knew you weren't doing yourself any favors, but you couldn't stop doing it on your own willpower. It just was not going to stop. And that's why we need a power greater than ourselves, because our human will had failed. Our human intellect had failed. How do I know that your human intellect had failed? Well, you're here. You're here. And you wouldn't have been here today if your human discipline, willpower, your human intellect was sufficient to bring about a recovery. You would not be here. You'd be off watching college football. Uh, I'm going to be watching the Ducks later. You'd be off watching something or doing something or water skiing, or you'd be off jumping on a trampoline or wh whatever it is that you consider fun. You'd be off doing that instead of being here. So let's continue. We're on page 48. The practical individual of today is a stickler for facts and results. I'll give you a fact. I'll give you a result. I have not compulsively overeaten in 23 years. I have not wanted to. I am happy in my release. Yes, there are moments of times when I am frustrated, angry, scared. I'm whatever it is I am. And I'm just as human as you. And I have failings and I have foibles too. But for 23 years, I have found it unnecessary to compulsively overeat. And here's a result. I'm still alive. Doctors have been signing my death certificate from the time I was six years old. 
doctors have been telling my mother and father and me, you're going to die. He's going to die. He's not going to live. He isn't going to live to see 30. He isn't going to live to see 40. He isn't going to live to see 50. You're not going to live to see five years from now. I'm still alive. So those, those are some facts and statistics that I hope will impress you, not because I did anything to achieve them, but because God did for me what I could not do for myself. Very important. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they are firmly grounded in fact. What was the fact that got everything started? That Ebby Thatcher, a drunk, an alcoholic, a sot, that did a lot of drinking with Bill Wilson. They had known each other at Burr and Burton Seminary since they were 10 years old. Bill knew what a drunk Ebby was. Ebby had two months of sobriety, stood there in front of him in New York, sober, it was the first time he had been to New York as an adult sober in his life. Those are the facts and the results. And Ebby at that time was happy in his release. He had two months of sobriety. Those facts, those figures, those statistics changed the world forever. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? Simply be, it, because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. Six days a week, I get my butt up, and against my will and against my better judgment, I get out of the house at two o'clock in the morning. I'm up at two. I get out of the house at three and I walk three miles. Takes me about an hour and a half. I'm no speed demon out there, but I finish and I don't stop while I'm doing it. I do not know the physiology of exercise. If you ask me, why I do it, I'll tell you, because it makes me feel better, it makes me look better, and it is a defense against lots and lots of illnesses, including the Alzheimer's that I'm sure I already have, because I can remember 1966 a hell of a lot better than I can remember what your name is when I first meet you. For whatever reason, when I first meet somebody, it takes me a while to pound their name into my head. I could be at a party or I could be at a gathering and somebody will come up to me and say, hi, my name's Mary. Hi, my name's Harry. Hi, my name's John. And then like, if they didn't have a name tag on, because when we get to the workshops and we get to the, before you start, you know, in those days before you start, you don't have a name tag. I, you just told me your name is Mitchell and I can't, for the, if there was a cash prize involved, I cannot remember. But if I went to grammar school with you, I could pick you out of a lineup. I remember what you ate for lunch on June 9th, 1967, but I can't remember someone's name. So I'm sure I'm already afflicted and affected with this dreaded whatever it is. I don't, what it was I talking about again? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But the bottom line is, is that we have a situation where we have these statistics and this works. One of the most important phrases, sentences in the entire English language appears in the big book of AA and it appears on page 88 it is so important that it should be imprinted, tattooed, chiseled in the inside of my eyelids so that when I'm sleeping, I can see it. And it says, it works. It really does. This works. I could name a bunch of crap that didn't work. I went to places and the only thing that lost weight was my wallet. I went to other places and they, whatever, but this works. 
this works. Let's continue. We're toward the bottom of 48. Everybody nowadays, you see, I'm almost done with 48. Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? You've all seen magic. I love magic. I love going to see, you know, man, good, good, really good magicians, you know, really good. That's to me, that's more entertaining than a lot of other stuff. You know, some of the comedians are, I love them, but some of them are filthy, dirty and whatever. And, and some of them are not. And, and I love music and, but I love magic. I just love it. And to if visual proof, well, that's the weakest proof of them all, right? Because you're, you're getting fooled, right? It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. Boy, we could do a whole workshop just on that sentence, couldn't we? When I get to White Plains, New York, I could make a whole three days out of that sentence. Don't worry, I'm not going to. So if you're coming, don't worry. But I could make a whole three-day thing. It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all to illustrate. So many things in life are just not what they seem, are they? So many things in life are just the elusive butterfly, the master illusion, the disguised reality the camouflage disease in its active form. So many of us have fallen prey to that. There's 144 of you. Some of you have had the urine of pregnant women shot up your butt. Some of you have had your jaws wired together. Some of you have been hypnotized, analyzed, I'm not denigrating therapy. I think it's wonderful. I'm not denigrating psychiatry. I'm not denigrating psychology. How did that work for you, though, in terms of you eating Chips Ahoy cookies? Not too well. How did that work for you? I had a psychologist tell me one time to keep a picture on my refrigerator of something I really, really wanted. And when I saw the picture, I wouldn't eat so much. And that may work for normal people. That may work for people that are out there. I, I don't know. I've never been normal when it comes to food. I'm assuming that there are people, pockets of people that are rather large in population, where if they kept a car or a house or a education or something, a picture of a college that they want to go to, or maybe whatever, I don't know, maybe something that they want to have, that that would give them pause and that they wouldn't go into that refrigerator. After the second time I looked at the picture, I didn't even see it because I knew what was in that white cold box that we call a refrigerator. And that candy, that ice cream, that fried whatever, fried something, you know, all, with me, it was always the fried stuff. There was something in there that was going to give me a hell of a lot of reward, even though I didn't know that it was going to do more for me than you could imagine. So how in the world was I going to talk myself out of going into that refrigerator with just some picture on the front. That doesn't work with people like me. And evidently it doesn't work with people like you. If it worked with people like you, forget the steps, forget the book, forget this, forget meetings, get the picture and go on with your life. But for people like me and apparently you, that is just ludicrous. That is the most ridiculous, the most useless, the most fantastically absurd piece of advice I have probably ever heard of in my life. And that was told to me by someone who was well-intentioned and they were speaking from their own perspective. That would probably work for people like this person. They could keep a picture of a brand new car or a, or a house or something, and that would give them pause enough so that they would not eat 
in, you know, because they want to get their goal. But what that person doesn't understand is I'm a different breed of cat. And that's not going to work with people like me. Let's move on. The very bottom of 48, the prosaic steel girder. What does prosaic mean? It just means simple. It means simple. Simple steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling them at the top of 49, whirling around each other at incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws, and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it when, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful guiding creative intelligence. Right there, our perverse streak comes to the surface, and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. Did you ever take a look at a starlit night? Aren't they beautiful? One of the things I love most about living in Arizona is the fact that we're very, very, we have very clear skies here 99% of the time. We do get rain here. It is cloudy here from time to time. It's not like what you think where it never rains here. It does rain here and it's supposed to, it, was, it rained last night, as a matter of fact. And that's what cooled us, cooled us down. But one of the things I love about Arizona is I'm not usually up at night, but I'm up very early in the morning. I'm out the door at three o'clock in the morning to walk my three miles. And one of the things I love is looking up at the stars and the sky and the heavenly bodies up in the sky. I think it's great. <laughs> I found something out not long ago. You know, there's just the right amount of gravity on Earth. If the gravity was a little stronger, these heavenly bodies would be pulled into the Earth and the Earth would not exist as it does today. These stars would, would, would crash into the Earth at an incredible speed. If gravity was just a little less compelling, then these heavenly bodies would fly off into the Milky Way galaxy and life would be different. Earth would be different. We wouldn't have those stars and heavenly bodies. It's exactly the right amount of gravity. Isn't that amazing? And as much as we'd like to deny, that that has some connection to Overeaters Anonymous, it is directly connected because the, the amount of gravity is perfect, perfect, so that the universe doesn't just flitter apart and that the stars and moon don't come crashing into earth and destroy our planet. We might end up destroying our planet one day. I hope not. I probably won't be around, but, but this won't. The gravitational pull of Earth is exactly perfect. Now, that would suggest to me that there is a force in this universe that is guiding things that is well beyond me and my understanding and abilities. Think about that for just a minute. If we had gravity a little stronger or a little weaker, life would not be on earth as we know it today. Let's continue. We read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Were our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of it all, rather vain of us, wasn't it? We who have traveled this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion. 
we have learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. Actually, we used to we used to have no reasonable conception, whatever. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs, practices, when we might have observed that many spiritually minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness, which we should have sought ourselves. One of the most beautiful things that people love about religion isn't necessarily the religious practices or beliefs, but one of the things that they believe and one of the things that they keep going back to the synagogue, the mosque, the church, the temple, the, the whatever it is. Why? Because of the social aspect of it. It makes us feel good to connect with other people. We are animals. We have basic instincts, as evolved as we want to think we are in our cars and our airplanes. And we want to think of ourselves as being so evolved because we're on a computer right now. We are animals, not much different from apes, not much different from Heidelberg man, Peking man, uh, all these various men, these cavemen. They had a social instinct. We have a social instinct. And deep down inside of us, it feels very good to socialize with other people. There's something good about it, even though we're often scared of it. The disease is a proficient abuser. And the abuser separates the abused from their support system. It isolates you. And when ego is allowed to run amok in a person, they are called from the pack, cut off from support, and they are a lone entity going nowhere, doing nothing, or going everywhere and doing everything. There seems to be no middle ground. But the abusive nature of this disease prevents me from going where into social situations because I fear the people. I'm scared to go there. Some of you want to come to the birthday. Some of you want to come to White Plains, but you're scared. And you're scared of what we'll think about you. And what we'll think about you is we will love you and we will accept you as you are. We, will, we just want to love on you. But your fear may not let you get there. This is the action of the disease. Make me right. Make me feel good right now. Make me different from everybody else. And I can't see people as people. I see them as either lessers or graders. And if they're greater than me, I will try to call them. I will try to, excuse me, not call them. I will try to, to cultivate their fancy so that maybe they'll take care of me. Or I will abuse them in my mind and think of them as idiots and think myself better than them because they're stupid. There are things they can do that I cannot do. There are things they know that I cannot know. There are things, places they've been that I may never have been, but I still consider them stupid because they're lessers and I'm greater. Those perspectives are dangerous for the compulsive overeater. And what does the steps do? It makes me another bozo on the bus. It gives me that ability to be another bozo on the bus, no better or worse than any other person. Now, some of you women, I'm scared to death of you. And the better looking you are, the more fear I have in my heart because you you can hurt me. Boy, can you hurt me. And you have. Not you personally, maybe. You know what it says, if you don't, if you don't heal your wounds, you'll bleed on people that didn't cut you. But women have hurt me. The rejection has been has been inhuman. The rejection has been unbelievable. And I'm scared to death because I didn't come through my teenage years with girls. I didn't come through my 20s with girls. So there's many, many things people think I should know that I don't have a clue about. 
don't have a clue about, never was able to develop muscle memory, never was able to learn some of these things. So I'm at a loss. We're all at a loss. We're all at different losses. We all have things that we're not exactly sure of, but I couldn't see that in my ego and my disease's tempestuous rage to rage against the society that has hurt me, rage against the society that wouldn't accept me because of my girth and my weight. We all are going through. Robin Williams, the entertainer who killed himself, said, be kind to every person you see. Everybody's going through their own hell. It could be the richest person in the world. It could be the poorest person in the world. Be they black, be they white, be they green, be they yellow. Everybody you know is going through their own personal hell. Everybody you know is challenged. Instead, we looked at the, I'm at the top of 50. Instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as a basis for of wholesale condemnation. And that's exactly what I did. And where did I learn that? I learned it from my dad. He was the victim of murder and mayhem in Europe. And he would not associate with anybody that was not of his religion. He wanted nothing to do with you. If you weren't like him, you get the hell away from me. Don't you come near me. I will not come near you. You come near me, we're going to have a problem. We're going to throw down. Because he saw you as his potential murderer. And there was nothing in his life that dissuaded this idea from him. And my mother would say, and her birthday would be today. She would be 105, I believe. She was born in 1907. She'd be 105 today if she was here. Today would have been her birthday. She'd say to me, you cannot think like him and you cannot be like him or you're going to be him. She'd say, you take a black man, a white man, a Jewish man, a Catholic man, a Protestant man, a Native American man, you dip them in Lake Michigan, they will be equally wet. They will be equally wet. And this is what she taught me from the time I was a kid. My dad was teaching me a 180 degree different message that if you're not like us, you're extremely dangerous and to be avoided at all costs. You better, if you're not like us, you are going to come and kill us. Well, that scared the hell out of me. And my mother would say, you cannot think like him. You cannot, his day is over. And if you think like him, you're going to become him. If that's what you want, just keep thinking like that. If th that my father's thinking doesn't work. His life was his life. I'm not condemning him. I'm not criticizing him. His life illustrated another time and another place, I hope. I hope. I hope that this will never happen again. Hopefully not. Not to anyone, not to any sect, not to any race, creed, religion, that it will never, ever, ever happen again. But there's no guarantees. But my mother's teaching, and I, you know, she was crazy. She was mental. She had three. Per, but this part of her teaching affects me today because I believe she was right. That the more I exclude people out of my life, the worse my life will get. My life will not be complete. And that's why you've heard me say this before. Overeaters Anonymous in and of itself. We have failed the black community. We have failed the Hispanic community. We have failed the Native American community. We have failed lots of communities. I'm sick and tired of going to conventions like the birthday or the world convention or some, and there's a, there's a thousand people there or 1500 people there and there's five people of color. What the hell is that about? What the hell is that about? We got to do something different. Let's, can, let's finish this paragraph and then we'll be done for the day. We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. 
We miss the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. And that is pretty self-explanatory. Now, I'm gonna just remind you before I turn this back over, White Plains, New York, 9th, 10th, 11th of December. The, for you who are here, you'll have a speaker that day because I can't do both at the same time. You'll have a speaker that'll sit in for me. We're not going to sh shut this down anymore when I leave town. We're not doing that anymore. Um, White Plains, New York, we're going to put, somebody put, I think, the registration in the chat, which is great. And the birthday, January 13th, 14th, and 15th. Get there a couple of days early. Let's Let's have some fun. There's going to be a ton of people there. It's going to be fantastic. It'll be much better if you come there. So before I turn this back over, no math questions, no math, please, no food questions. And if you asked a question last week, please step back and let the people who didn't ask a question come forward, okay? That's very, very important. Okay, I'm going to turn it back over to either Maria, Sue L, or I'm going to turn it over to Audrey or whoever it is. And okay. let's go from there. We're going to start the recording okay. first. Um, thank